Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Sunday mornings. And thank you, God, that you have so moved in our hearts that this is such an important part of the week to us. A priority, a commitment. That even though Saturdays are long and busy and perhaps late night and Sunday is a day of preparation as the week begins tomorrow, Father, you are our God and our Father in heaven and our, our Lord reigning over us that we love because you first loved us and our sins are forgiven because you have offered up yourself for us. That it is a joy, God, and we are thankful to be here that we could worship you with other people. And Father, we thank you that all of that is by grace. You have made us that way. And Father, we pray that today it, we, it would be worship to you. That we would be believing Believing you for who you are and for what you have told us. Looking to your word that we may believe more. And Father, we come now to the preaching of the word. We ask your blessing upon it, your Holy Spirit's power with it, and that you would give us ears to hear it. God, that we would hear and respond and believe, that we would be convicted of our sins and that we would turn to you, that we would repent where we need to repent and we would believe more strongly. Father, we pray that today as Jesus starts to speak on greatness, that we would have a good, healthy view of what it means to be great. God, we ask your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible, and it's page 929. 929 in the Pew Bible, Mark chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 33, verses 33 to 37, and we're moving right along through the Gospel of Mark. I'm so thankful for uh, Jake Beatty and his preaching last week through uh, where we're at. He preached verses 30 to 32. Excellent sermon, Jake. Thank you for doing that. And um, I was able to listen to it online and very much so encouraged and thankful for uh, Jake's preaching last Sunday. And now we're ready to pick up right where we left off. The passage seems to keep moving. Jake pointed out that uh, uh, they're always on the go. And you see that in Mark. And they went to this town, they went to this town, they went to this town, they went to this town. And and the Gospel of Mark keeps telling us that. um, And then we see it yet again today. But before we read, I want to say a few things about, about greatness. I think we all need to admit here early on that we, we struggle to really understand what is great. We use the word loosely, and we, we'll call this great or we'll call that great. And then when we get outside of circles that are familiar to our circles, uh, our idea of what, what greatness is even changes, right? Um, some of y'all think this coach is the greatest coach, and some of y'all think this coach is the greatest coach, and some of y'all think that Fairdale's the greatest place to live, and some of y'all think otherwise, and, you know, we've got different definitions for what we think is great. Maybe you'd say it's subjective, or it's, it's relevant, and we talk about what is great, and we need to be reminded here today that if God starts talking about what is great, then we need to listen. And even more than that, we need to make sure that our hearts are in tune with what God thinks is great. All of that is to say, I think we struggle to really know what greatness was. All week long I've been working on this sermon and I was excited to preach on it. I was hanging out with Tabor Klinglesmith this week and he asked me what I was preaching on Sunday. I said, I'm preaching on what Jesus thinks greatness is. He said, oh, so you're preaching on me? He was just joking, obviously, but those type of things come about from time to time, right? We, we say we know what greatness is or we act like we know what greatness is. Let me give you another. There's a term that used to have a really big, strong meaning to it that now the young people have caught onto this term and they've kind of ruined it. There's a phrase we use in, in sports or in things called the GOAT. I don't know if you've ever heard of the phrase the GOAT before, but it stands for the greatest of all time, G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. Well, obviously, if you're the GOAT or the greatest of all time, this term should be used very, very, very limited, very cautiously. You should not throw around the greatest of all time. This is reserved for the likes of Muhammad Ali and others, right? This is for somebody who is the greatest of all time, and there's no debate on that in their own particular field. 
Well, now the young people, the middle schoolers and the high schoolers have heard of this word, the goat, and they'll use it all the time. Anytime somebody does one thing good, they're the goat. And you've got a friend that hits a shot, they're a goat. They've got a mom that's a good guy, good mom. She's the goat, right? And everything is the goat, and we use it loosely. And all this contributes to us not really being sure what actually is great. And so today, very, very fitting, Jesus starts to describe greatness for us. I want to say yet again, I feel like I say this all the time, it's very common these days for people to say that the Bible is hard to understand and they don't read it because they don't understand it or they don't know uh, what it means. We hear that a lot, right? But I want to remind you that there may be some places in the Bible that are hard to understand, but there are also, also so many places in the Bible that are simple and basic and elementary like today. So let's read at Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. Good passage, really clear. This is one of those passages that doesn't need a lot of explanation. You understand it already. Greatness, according to Jesus, is not marked by more of you. It's not marked by more accolades. It's not marked by more and more successes, more and more attention, more and more fame, more and more wealth. It's not marked by that. Greatness according to God, greatness according to Jesus is defined in other ways. J.C. Ryle says these words are deeply instructive. They show us that the maxims of the world are directly contrary to the mind of Christ. The world's idea of greatness is to rule, but Christian greatness consists in serving. The world's ambition is to receive honor and attention, but the desire of the Christian should be to give rather than receive, and to attend on others rather than be attended on himself. In short, the man who lays himself out most to serve his fellow men and to be useful in his day and generation is the greatest man in the eyes of Christ. This is what Jesus is talking about. Let's look at verse 33 and start to walk through our passage. It says they came to Capernaum, so now they're on the move. They, they continue. If you look up at verse 30, uh, what Jake preached last week, it says they went on from there and passed through Galilee. So they were on the move. They were constantly on the move. They were heading to Jerusalem because Jesus, if you, if you don't remember, let me remind you, Jesus has an appointment set to be crucified on the cross to offer up his holy, righteous self for the sins of the world. Jesus, you might say, is making a beeline to the cross. Several years ago, I preached through the Gospel of Luke, and it took us a long time. But I'll never forget that in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, the whole Gospel of Luke shifted. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He had been traveling, doing his ministry. But at Luke 9.51, Jesus said, now's the time. He turned himself, he went to Jerusalem, and he was headed for that appointment. He had to die on the cross. If Jesus does not die on the cross, then there is no forgiveness of sins. This is why we've seen through the Gospel of Mark already that time and time again, they want Jesus for the God that he is, but they don't want him for the one who would be crucified for their sins. And every time he brings it up, they don't understand it, or they rebuke him, or it becomes a mess. And Jesus keeps telling them that. Well, here... They came to Capernaum. And even in the Gospel of Mark, this is the last time, it's the third time, but it's the last time that Jesus is in Capernaum. So they're moving. And when he was in the house, which this is interesting, you know, Jesus is now inside of a house. They're hanging out. We don't know whose house, perhaps Peter's house. We don't know. But they're in a house, and they're hanging out. And Jesus asks the question, what what were you guys talking about on the way? 
So Jesus, I don't know if he was a few steps ahead of them. I don't know if he was focused and not really paying attention. I don't know. But Jesus knows that there had been a, a conversation, and the 12, as they were following him, had kind of been arguing with you, Will. I don't know if you've ever been able to hang out with a group of guys, but they can really get into it and arguing about this or that and jabbing each other and having a good time. And it really does make for some good memories. You can say, hey, you remember that, how much you were laughing? Man, they were giving him a hard time. Nothing, nothing really meant by it, no hard feelings. That's common. And I'm picturing that they're on the way to Capernaum, Jesus and the disciples, and that type of stuff goes on. They're arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus heard them, whether he really knew or didn't know. We, know we, we don't really know. We know that ultimately God knows everything, and so whether he heard their conversation or not, he knows. But he, but he heard them. He says, what were y'all discussing? You know, there's a lot of conversations that happen in our lives that we hope that the important people in our lives don't hear, Right? There's a few conversations that happen that you hope your wife doesn't hear and a few conversations that happen that you hope the boss doesn't hear, right? There's a few conversations, listen to me, that we hope Jesus didn't hear. And perhaps that's where the disciples were. But guess what? He heard it. Church, let me remind you whether we're down at the shack in the back or the Fairdale pizza we're hanging out God hears them all whether you're sitting at home with the family God hears them all and whether you're talking about your enemies or your best friends or your family God hears them all and he's able if he wants to to say what we're all discussing and he may not have spoken up in your most recent bad conversation and asked you that. Perhaps he did through your Holy Spirit conviction and he bothered you for the way you are that you need to repent of that and confess your sins. But let me remind you that there's a judgment coming for us where he will say to us, not necessarily what were you discussing, but rather why were you discussing that? Church, when we say we're a church, we say Jesus is Lord. And when Jesus is Lord, that means he reigns over us. And that means he bows down to us. And there is no room, zero room, for sin in us. And all sins that flow out of Christians must be confessed and convicted of and repented of, to which we say, oh God, have mercy upon us and forgive me of my sins. Jesus hears that they are discussing something. And they answer, they're sorry, they don't answer. Look at verse 34. But they kept silent. That's happened to me before. Somebody asks you what you're talking about, and you don't want to tell them, right? I can't tell you how many times Val says, what did you say? I said, nothing. 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 Sometimes we don't want people to know what we said. Sometimes, unfortunately, we say some things we didn't mean to say or we didn't really want to say and so we stay quiet because it's much better to stay quiet and not be found out they did this they kept silent but look what mark tells us for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest have you ever seen people argue oh doesn't it drive you nuts People argue over the silliest things. They argue over the foolish, most stupid things people do. And they get in big arguments. Sometimes people will fight for no reason. You ever been in the car and say, where do you want to eat? And you can't decide. Next thing you know, you're arguing. That happens, right? And you think, well, what are we even arguing over this for? The disciples here are arguing over who is the greatest. Can you imagine going on a long walk with God and everybody but God arguing about who's great? Doesn't it sound ridiculous? Doesn't it sound so foolish? That's what they were doing. But let's think maybe why. Remember what had just happened a few verses before? Jesus had just taken the three inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and had just taken them up on a high mountain and revealed himself in the transfiguration as God Almighty, the glory of God, and he even brought Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine? So those three seem to have a leg up on at least being in the know. And I don't know if it was those three arguing with the other nine. I don't know if it was those three arguing among themselves. I don't even know what they were arguing over except for Mark tells us here that they were arguing over which one was the greatest. And this is common. Unfortunately, this is really, really common. 
People will argue over how great they are. People will try to tell you how good of a person they are. You know, I said a couple weeks ago in a sermon that saying, <coughs> saying I'm not that bad is a bad argument for your spiritual life. But I said saying I'm not that good is a really good spiritual sign. Let's don't get those things twisted, right? Saying I'm not that, listen, saying I'm not that bad is the way people who don't know God talk. They have to continually remind themselves how good they are because they don't know about the grace of God and the love of God that gives us a pure, clean, holy, righteous identity before God. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that freeing to realize that in Christ you can have newness of life and you're accepted by God and no matter who you are, no matter how dirty you are, no matter how much you've sinned, you are loved and free and accepted by God? You don't ever have to tell a single soul how good you are. Matter of fact, you can talk about how bad you are because how great the Father's love for us that he gave up his son for our sins. So every time you sin, every time you confess your sins, you're just qualifying yourself for the great redeeming love of God. But when we start talking about how good we are, I'm not sure what we mean. I do know that everybody I know that's not a believer loves to talk about how good they are. And we say all the time, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Well, how good are you? Are you so good that you're now not even needing forgiveness of sins? And we hear people talk like that. And so if you're having an argument about which one's the greatest, I certainly understand that you may think yourself greater than other people, but let me remind you, life never has been and it never will be about other people or being compared to other people. And I know we're all running around in the rat race of comparing ourselves to each other. I do that too. And this la Jake preached last Sunday, and I bet I heard 20 times this week how great a preacher is. Oh, he'll do just fine if you leave, Josh. It'll be just fine. I've heard it. I've heard it all week long. And I'm proud of that and happy for Jake. And Jake is a great preacher and all of that. But you can't help but run around in the, in the struggle of comparing yourself to everybody else. I know we are. Everybody does it. Are they better parents than we are? Are they doing better than us? Are they, my, my kid better in basketball than their kid? You know, you get into all of this sort of stuff, and we all struggle with that. And the disciples here are caught up in an argument. They're on a walk with God, and they're in an argument about which is the greatest. We read the parallel passage from Matthew chapter 18. It's the very same story. They're arguing about which one is the greatest. Two chapters later, I preached on this a long time ago, two chapters later in Matthew, Matthew 18 and Matthew chapter 20, right after Jesus had just rebuked them about arguing about who's great, it says that James and John, okay, who are the, the, the inner circle of the twelve, their mom comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, when you get to heaven, can my son sit right beside your throne? That's just two chapters. It's right after Matthew chapter 18. Jesus had just told them, you don't understand greatness. Why in the world are you thinking of that? Let me, let me explain what greatness is. And the mom comes up and says, hey, when we get to heaven, can they sit right beside you? She didn't get greatness. She wasn't able to raise her sons to understand greatness. She wanted them to sit right beside the throne. Jesus' answer is a good one. Jesus says, you don't know what it costs to sit on the throne. It takes the radical, holy obedience to God and the offering up of my life. And he even says, it takes drinking the cup of the wrath of God to sit on that throne. Jesus did not sit down on the throne until he had come, suffered, been rejected, been crucified, been buried in the grave, rose again, and ascended into heaven King of kings, Lord of lords, and then he sat down on the throne. And if you want the throne, you're mistaking all it took to get the throne. We argue over greatness all the time. Not just the twelve here, but their mother as well, we saw in Matthew chapter 20. So that's our setting, that's our context. And then in verse 35, it's interesting because it looks just like a scenario where a boss or a teacher or, or a good dad or grandfather or mom or grandmother would speak up and really give somebody a lesson. Look what it says next in verse 35. He sat down and called the twelve. I can't tell you how many times at our house we've gotten a little bit out of line or out of order and I've said, y'all sit on the couch. Come on, everybody on the couch. 
And we come over there, and I'll pull up a little stool or chair, and I say, we need to talk about a few things. At our house, if it's a one-on-one, it's to the bathroom. Let's go meet me in the bathroom. And Jesus is on a walk. The 12 are arguing about who's the greatest. It sounds like a ridiculous scenario, and it says the very next thing, verse 35, Jesus says, he sat down. Y'all sit down. Let's have a talk. I need to explain greatness to you all. Because let me remind you, nothing is more ugly you might say hypocritical and defeating, listen, defeating to the cause of God and the kingdom of God and the cause of Christ than for you and I to be insisting to the people around us how great we are. If you're still trying to show all of your friends and all your Facebook friends and all your Instagram people how great of a person you are, then you're not showing them how great your God is. What a ridiculous, ridiculous story, and yet we're, Ill, we're all still trying to do it. The goal is not for them to think we're great. The goal is for them to think God is great. The goal is not for them to praise us. The goal is for them to praise our God. And us thinking that being great is the pathway for them seeing God is a foolish prosperity gospel message. And it's not working. How many times have you seen a lost, listen, how many times have you seen a lost person, somebody does not believe in Jesus, come to follow Jesus because of how great you are in your world? Now, when your greatness becomes the greatness of Jesus, we start to impact lives. Jesus says, sit down, let's talk. He sat, he sat down, he called the twelve, and here's what he said. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. I want to keep it real simple in our time we've got left, and I want to say three, three things that Jesus, three ways that Jesus defines greatness. And I hope you're listening. I hope you'll take notes. I hope that we will understand what greatness is. Greatness, according to God, is the way we view ourselves. Number one, humility. Greatness, according to God, number two, is the way we treat others, service. And greatness, according to God, number three, is the way we view children, receiving them. The way we view ourselves, that's humility. The way we treat others, that's service. And the way we view children, that is receiving them. Number one, the way we view ourselves, humility. The first thing Jesus says, that if anyone would be first. Listen, he knows that that's a desire inside of us. He knows that the desire to have rank or have status or climb the ladder or to be a step up or to make the all-star team or get a promotion or be recognized, he knows that that is a desire in us. And listen to me, before you think I've gone off the deep end, it's not a bad desire. Excellence is the standard of God. Do your best is the mantra that we say all the time, okay? That is right. But do it for the glory of God is what makes all the difference. Do it for the praise, the honor, the worship of God, the recognition of God is what makes all the difference. Jesus says if anyone be first, he must be last of all. The first shall be last. You've heard it many, many times. Humility is a mark. Of greatness. Humility is a mark of somebody that knows God. Humility is a mark, listen to me, of somebody who has truly come to know Christ and therefore understands that life is not about them, good or bad. I've told you many times that my favorite coach speech is never too high, never too low. The attention we get doesn't make us too high or too low. Drama shouldn't ruin your life. You've got to focus on God. Praise shouldn't ruin your life. You've got to focus on God. Humility, listen to me. Humility is not, listen to me, it's not thinking less about yourself. It's not trying to say, well, I'm not very pretty. I'm not very, not very wealthy. I'm just not that good at things. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less about yourself. Listen, it is thinking about yourself less. It's that you're not on your mind. That's what humility is. If you're walking around all the time preaching to yourself, I'm not special, I'm not special, I'm not special, I'm not special, guess what? You are extremely proud. Extremely proud. All you're doing is thinking about you all the time. That's why we don't understand humility. Humility is thinking about yourself less. I hadn't even thought about myself today. Type of an attitude. William Carey, one of the great missionaries ever, 
They call him the father of the modern missions movement. Once said, the less said about me, the better. Isn't that a good quote? The less said about me, the better. Not hoping they talk about me, not hoping they mention me, not hoping I get the prize or the award or the recognition or whatever. The less said about me, the better. This is what humility is. In the passage that we read in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus brings this up. Let me read to you. It's the passage Austin read, but let me read to you again verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? One who humbles themselves in such a way that they now bow themselves down to the Lord Jesus. Who is the greatest person in heaven? It's not the greatest Christian that wrote the most books or preached the most sermons, right? It's not necessarily a Billy Graham or somebody like that. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is probably somebody we've never heard of because they were so humbled and low down that we never recognized them. Their identity was in Christ. In the Gospel of John, John doesn't speak about himself by name. He writes the whole gospel and never speaks about himself by name. He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. But in the Gospel of John, we have a lot of information on another John, John the Baptist. You've heard of him. And Jesus said that John the Baptist is the greatest man born among women. That John the Baptist is the greatest man, so to speak, in, in, in God's eyes. John the Baptist is also the one who said, he must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater, I must become less. That was John the Baptist's attitude. The greatest man, Jesus said, that was his attitude. Let me take it a step further. John the Baptist is the one who said, I'm not even worthy to wash his feet, to undo his shoes. I'm not even worthy to do that. See, the general attitude would be, I'm too good or I'm too much to humble myself to the point of washing feet. He says, I'm not even good enough to wash his feet. Not I'm too good, not good enough. What a huge difference of perspective on self. John the Baptist is the one who came in the spirit of Elijah, born a cousin to Jesus, born, uh, reborn in the womb even, so to speak, filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, the, the front runner, if you will, or the forerunner, I mean, for Jesus, the one who came and said, look to Jesus, the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is John the Baptist, and his attitude of himself was full of humility. The way we view ourselves is a mark of greatness. It seems also often, people I know and people I talk to are, are really Facebook rants. Y'all know what a Facebook rant is? I think you do. We just had enough, so we just have to explode on Facebook. Nobody else to tell it to, so here we go. And it seems like it's very common, even among Christians, to say something to the effect of, all I do is this for everybody. All I do is take care of this for everybody. I'm always trying to help. I'm always trying to be the bigger person. I'm always the one trying to love or serve or contribute. It's always me, 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 me trying to do this for them, and, and yet I never get recognized for it. I never get anything back in return. And we hear these type of rants all the time. I hear them in person. I hear them talking to people. And Jesus is teaching us that greatness is loving that. not hating it. And usually what comes next after that rant, I'm finally going to start looking out for me. Me first these days. I'm finally going to start taking care of myself. Isn't it? We hear it all the time. Not only is that not humility, guys, that is pride coming out. If you are not focused on others, you've got problems. But if you're focused on others for the wrong reasons, there's bigger problems. And when I say problems, I don't mean life circumstantial problems. Everybody's got life circumstantial problems. I'm talking about heart problems. You have not humbled yourself before God. You have not bowed down to him and said, Oh, Father, have mercy upon me. 
God, help me with the way I view myself. God, I, listen to me, I'm my biggest problem. I'm thinking about me too much. Oh, Father, give me humility. Pride comes before the fall. Jesus' measure of greatness begins with the way we view ourselves, humility, but then he moves on to the way we treat others' service. Look back to verse 35. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and he must be servant of all. So not only is there this attitude of, I'm okay to be last, I'm okay to be last, I'm okay to not be recognized. Not only is there that, but then there's also a turning, listen to me, turning away from self. So if it's not thinking about self, then what is it thinking about, right? And so it, it's turning a thinking about self and turning it to others. And so it's not a looking in the mirror constantly. It's not a looking at me constantly. It's now a looking at everybody else and, hey, who needs help? Who needs some service? Who needs some love? Who needs some encouragement? Who needs an arm around the shoulder? Who needs some prayer? Who needs some life? Who needs a meal? Who needs this? Who needs me? Who needs my time? Who needs my energy? And that's where it is. And the reason why, listen to me, the reason why you're able to have that attitude toward other people as a true measure of greatness is because all of that is filled up in you from God and from God's church and from God's people. And so it's able to flow out of you. The second thing is how we treat others. Greatness, service. You must be a servant of all. One of the most impressive characteristics of the Lord Jesus is that he was a servant. We have Jesus feeding the hungry. We have Jesus healing the sick. We have Jesus caring for the downcast time and time again. If you were a big, uppity, famous, smart, wealthy person, he seemed to uh, rough you around the edges. But if you were lowly and out and sick and marginalized and didn't connect with many people, kind of felt lonely or separated or all that type of stuff, Jesus had his eyes on you. He would find you. He would help you. He would serve you. This is what our God is like. And he says that's what greatness is. And if you want to be great, then you would learn to be a servant of all. A servant of all. We go to Ecuador every year as a church, and I'm thrilled for that. It's, a, it's an outstanding trip and a way to be involved in, in what God's doing in the world and for our church to, uh, to be growing in that area. The first time I ever went, though, was not with our church, and it was uh, with a trip, and it was in 2004. I was not married to Valeria yet, and so I was interested in Ecuador, and I went there, and uh, I was challenged big time on that trip. And we, we, we went that week, and we worked at, like, a hospital that's in a home. I'm not sure if you can really picture that, but this was a man who was a doctor that stopped working at the hospital, and because he became a Christian, he was helping people in their homes. And he had, upstairs, he had about 20 men that he had taken in that were sick and dying, and downstairs, he had about 15 women that he had taken in, and he and his family, with his medical degree, are the ones that took care of them, and many, many were dying. And he needed help, and so we went that day, several of, that week, several of us, and went to help him. And I've never in my life, and I've been on several trips, I've never in my life been eye-opened and, and experienced what I experienced that time. We got there, and we said, we, we, we said, how could we help? And a lot of times you go on a trip, you say, how can we help? And, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of minimal on what you can do. You can go do the dishes, or you can help serve food, or you can clean a bathroom, or something like that. But he threw us, there wasn't a team there. This was in Guayaquil, Ecuador, and he said, well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's time for every one of our residents to get a bath. Some of them can't stand, many of them can't walk. We need you guys, here's what you need to do. You ladies take the women, and you, he didn't even think that we may be scared of this or nervous of it or anything. This guy was a warrior missionary for Jesus. He said, thank y'all for coming, here's what I need. I need y'all take the men, there's 20 men. You need to take them to the shower, get all their clothes off of them. Here's the, here's the soap and the washcloth, and give them all a good bath. I was like 23. And all of a sudden, I had to think to myself, am I, am I too prideful? Am I too immature? Am I, can I not handle this? But we did it. We did it. It's hard to serve other people, isn't it? But Jesus says, true greatness True greatness is when the focus is off you and it's on other people. He says right here in verse 35, it must be a servant 
of all. There's a reason why most people admire their mothers the most. I know not everybody does, but generally speaking, people admire their mother the most. The mother is the greatest person in their life. There's a reason why, though. Because most often it is the mother who has served that child the most, more than everybody else, and there's no comparison. Mothers in the eye of a child are the greatest. Why? They've served them the most. This is the point that Jesus is making. If you want to be great... Now let's think back to them walking on the road to Capernaum and what they're arguing about. They're arguing about who's the greatest. And we don't know what their arguments are, but can you imagine? Well, we were up on the mountain. I mean, we've seen Jesus. Well, he included us. We've, we've prayed with him more. Yeah, well, well, I know the Old Testament better. Remember, I went to this school, and I, I just know all the Old Testament. I mean, I can quote from memory all these verses. Well, remember, I'm the one that did that miracle. Don't you remember when that demon needed to be cast out and I did that one? You see how far away we are on greatness? The things that we recognize as great or even applaud as great are not the things that God applauds as great. Listen to this outstanding quote from this commentator named James Edwards. He says, The idea of subservience to others is so central to the thought of Jesus that it was remembered and recorded in nearly every stratum of early Christianity. You look anywhere, and Jesus talking about serving others is the Focus. Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 23, Luke chapter 22, Philippians chapter 2, and so on and so on. The model of service and humiliation that Jesus teaches the disciples can be heard, listen to me, only on the road of humiliation to Jerusalem. We'll leave out of here today and we won't get it if you don't understand that Jesus came and died for us. The road to Jerusalem means he had in mind a giving up his life. And Christians or churches that do not have their A1 top priority in the finished work of Christ on the cross will never be great. Because they'll never understand what greatness is. He says, the model of service and humiliation that Jesus teaches the disciples can be heard only on the road of humiliation to Jerusalem if it can even be heard at all. At no point does the way of Jesus diverge more sharply from the way of the world than on the question of greatness. Do you agree? Jesus does not, listen to this, Jesus does not exactly repudiate prominence and greatness, but he does redefine it. He doesn't want us to lose the idea of greatness. He doesn't want us to hate greatness. He wants us to understand greatness. Greatness, according to Jesus, is totally not greatness according to somebody that does not know Jesus. The challenge, listen to this, the challenge is to be great in the things that matter to God. To be great in things that don't matter to God is to waste our lives. It's to come to the end of the race or the end of the road or the end of our lives and to say, I had it wrong. There are no U-Hauls. We've said it many times. There are no U-Hauls no after hearses. We don't take stuff to our funerals. It's you and just you and the greatness that you embodied or did not embody. We start to think about at your funeral where you're at. And to the extent that you've understood greatness according to God, or rather understanding greatness according to the things that matter to God, we will know whether you are on your way to with God or not. The challenge is to be great in things that matter to God. Listen to this. Nothing is greater in God's eyes than giving, and no vocation affords the opportunity to give more than that of a servant. When you are willing to humble yourself to the point of making somebody else the priority, and you'll do whatever for them, whatever needs to be done, it is in that moment that we start to experience greatness. It's in that moment that we start to experience what God is really that's greatness. 
the way we treat others. Service. Look back to verse 35. He said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Greatness according to God is the way we view ourselves with humility, the way we treat others with service. And lastly, greatness according to God is the way we view children receiving them. Verse 36. All it took was that one little sentence in verse 35 to lay out humility and service. And then he says in verse 36 that he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said... Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus is easy to understand. See, when I said, Jesus gathered them and said, sit down, he pulled up a chair and sat down with them. They were about to have a talk. He wanted to instruct them. If it had been me, I probably would have gotten louder than I should and more out of control than I should and the talk wouldn't have been so great. But Jesus says one sentence and then he grabs a child and pulls him on his lap. Who's the greatest of all time? Who's the greatest teacher of all time, the greatest person of all time, the greatest helper of all time? It's Jesus. The greatest communicator of all time, the greatest illustrator of all time, the greatest humanitarian of all time? It's Jesus. He takes a child and puts him in the midst of them so they can see it. They want, he wants them to see how he handles a child. He takes him up in his arms and he says this, verse 37, which you need to know. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, I don't want y'all to miss this. It is true in the Bible, we read it in Matthew chapter 18, that Jesus teaches us that we need to come to God with childlike faith. That is true. You need to look and trust in God the way a child would trust in God, the way a child would trust in their father or mother, right? You need to believe God for who he is, and you need to have childlike faith. Let me read to you again that Matthew 18, just so you can recall. We read it earlier, but let me read it to you again. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So that is true. You must believe God the way a child would. But that's not the point that Jesus is making here. Jesus' point here is a little bit different. Certainly connected, but a little bit different. His point here is how you treat children, how you view children. And that can, be that can, that can carry on now to, to all of the least of these, those who cannot help themselves. We have the passage in Matthew chapter 25, which is the least of these passages, which tells us, Jesus says, the way you treat hungry people is treating me. The way you treat thirsty people is treating me. The way you treat prisoners is the way you treat me. The way you treat foreigners is the way you treat me. The way you treat uh, religious people is the way you treat me. The way you treat sick people is the way you treat me. The way you treat homeless people is the way you treat me. That's what Jesus says. And in this passage here at Mark chapter 9, he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Our attitude towards children, our helping of children, our prioritizing and investing in children, our understanding how important children are for the future, are not saying that children get in the way, are not saying that children mess things up, are not saying that children are going to keep me from being me and doing all I want to do, which if, you don't, if you're talking that way and thinking that way, please resort back to point number one. Life's not about you. Life's not about you. And I'll save it for another sermon, but life is totally about you being able to invest yourself in somebody else for the cause of Christ. And thinking that it's all about you for the cause of Christ totally means you don't understand greatness. Nothing would be more 
disappointing than for us to be self-absorbed and being great for ourselves and trying to throw Jesus on top of it. Imagine how wrong the disciples are on this walk to Capernaum, arguing about greatness, and imagining that rebuke ending up with Jesus sitting them down, sitting himself down, pulling a kid on his lap and says, how you receive these people is how you receive me. But it's not about receiving me, he says. You receive the one who sent me. He points it back to the Father. J.C. Ryle says, Well would it be for Christendom or Christianity if empty boasts of churchmanship, oh, what a good quote, and orthodoxy were less frequent, and practical attention to our Lord's words in this passage more common. The men who are willing to be last of all and servants of all for Christ's sake are always few. Yet these are the men who do good. These are the men who break down prejudices. These are the ones who convince infidels that Christianity is a reality. And these are the men who shake the world. Commentator Edwards says, Service to others is the primary way in which believers imitate and fulfill the mission of Jesus. He goes on to say, listen to this, disciples are thus not to be like children in this passage, but to be like Jesus who embraces children. Embraces those who are the least of these. How do you view children? Every once in a while we need nursery workers. And I want you all to understand that nursery is such a huge, huge, important ministry in the church. What happens down there either makes or breaks how well this goes, right? This is dependent upon that. I know you don't often think that way, but it is. If you could work one hour a month in the nursery Please do it. Be a servant. Love kids. Allow this to be an awesome opportunity to have the Word of God preached while parents get a break and their children can be in the nursery. One hour a month is all we're asking if you can work in the nursery. But every once in a while, and pretty regularly, I'll get a picture from somebody that says, loved working in the nursery today. And you know what the picture is? It's somebody sitting on one of those chairs with typically two kids on their lap reading a book. And a picture of a child on a lap is a good sign, isn't it? The other day I was laying on the floor and our little baby, Lily, she's one, brought a book to me. She didn't really talk yet, but she can certainly let you know what she means. She wanted me to read her a book, so I kind of leaned over, and she didn't accept uh, lean over, read me a book. So I sat up and kind of propped my knees up and sat on the floor and, and started reading the book, and she didn't accept that. So I pulled her in and tried to sit her like between my legs and do the whole book thing like, like that. She didn't accept it. She went over to the couch and started patting on the couch. So I finally got the message. Got up on the couch set myself down, pulled her up. We read the whole book. Not necessarily what I was wanting to do, but to her, it communicated something, didn't it? It let her know I love her. It let her know I'm there. It let her know that all's good. In her mind at that moment, I was finally great. According to Jesus, there is a big whole real realm of greatness. But it's not more and more and more of us, more and more and more of me. It's marked by the way we treat ourselves, humility, or view ourselves. The way we treat others, service. And the way we view children, receiving them. And it is a time like there's never been a time for our world to recognize greatness for our schools, our children, our neighborhoods, our youth leagues, our communities, our families.
families to recognize greatness. Now that we see God's greatness, let me ask you, is there anybody great in your home? Is there anybody in your home that's great? Never thinking about themselves. Focuses on Jesus. Always looking to serve. What can they do for anybody else? Making sure the young people are a priority. You ever noticed how you see somebody who looks like their life's going well and we tend to think, well, that's just because they've got everything right. Everything's good for them. That's not true. Everybody's got hardships. Some have it harder, absolutely. You know what it usually is? I mean, almost always is. Somebody in that mix understands greatness. Somebody's sacrificing. Somebody's laid themselves low. Somebody's made everybody else the priority. Somebody's not worried about getting the praise or the attention. Somebody's focused on Jesus. Church, may we today hear Jesus on greatness. May we repent of all of the ways we've not understood greatness. And may God in the midst of us, not to us, not for us, make us great for his glory, for his cause, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our church, for his glory. Greatness according to God, humility, service, prioritizing children. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you that I learned these little lessons even from my one-year-old. Thank you, God, that even our Jesus, our Lord Jesus, our King of Kings, in the midst of a teaching moment, pulls a child up on his lap. And Father, may we understand greatness and that we would get you or receive you, and to receive you is to receive the Father. Father, we ask that you would humble us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you've never believed on Christ, I would ask you to.